beautiful sun shining as we come together to worship our God and to learn from him, to hear his word spoken into our lives today. Please stand and join us as we begin our worship service by singing his praises.
seated above, enthroned in the Father's love, destined to die, poured out for all mankind. God's only Son, perfect and spotless one. He never sinned. But suffered as if he did. All authority, every victory is yours. All authority, every victory is yours.
You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious tool. Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Lord, we worship you for who you are, for all that you have done, for your son Christ who died and rose again. We pray that our worship today would bring honor to you and would lead us into a deeper relationship with you and with one another. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today.
there are uh, a number of uh, things in the bulletin that I want to mention. Um, tonight, our uh, small groups meet, and we also begin on Tuesday uh, a time of something we've been doing for a number of years of praying for our graduates, college graduates, high school graduates, and we're going to spend uh, a time of 48 hours of prayer of a mini prayer vigil, and uh, you can sign up for that online, as we've always done. You can also sign up this morning in this foyer or in the CE building foyer, and uh, we're just hoping to fill up those 48 hours of people coming to the prayer room and uh, being a part of praying for our graduates in this very uh, pivotal time in their lives. We'll have the names of all the graduates in the prayer room uh, listed there, and and you can come and pray for them or whatever other burdens it uh, needs that you want. But we encourage you to, to be a part of this uh, time of praying for our graduates in this special uh, 48 hours. Next Sunday, we gather for worship again at 829, 40, and 11. Uh, there are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. Uh, some of them are directly connected to us, other things around the world. Um, did want to, to mention that, that uh, a friend of Emily Butine's, his name is Dana, was uh, riding his bike yesterday, he was hit by a car, has been taken to ECMC and uh, with a broken femur. It, I think he's going to be all right, but obviously he has a long recovery, and I know that he and uh, his family would appreciate our prayers as we remember him and others who are listed here. Uh, there's also uh, an insert in your bulletin about uh, Sunday school help for the, uh, this summer. And actually, we are very close to completing this. Uh, we have a teacher for first grade. We just need an assistant for first grade and an assistant for third grade. So if you'd be willing to help out uh, beginning May 12th uh, through uh, the end of June, that would be wonderful. It's an opportunity, again, to give to our children. So you can uh, fill this form out or contact the church office, and we'll get you connected for those opportunities. Also, in a few weeks is our time for elections and also our vision meeting, and we're preparing for that. Uh, we have a ballot posted around the church, and we, uh, this is a draft ballot that the nominating committees put together. And if you uh, would like to nominate someone, in a sense, from the floor, uh, please do that in writing by the end of Wednesday, and then the nominating committee will consider those, and then we'll put a final ballot out next week, and the elections will be on the 19th at Sunday morning. Also, uh, we, uh, uh, the budget is available for you, and uh, there are sheets in the back table with those on it. Feel free to take one of those if you have questions about it. Uh, there's people listed there you can contact or just contact the church office, and we'd be glad to answer questions and help you with that. And be in prayer for both uh, the elections and our meeting, and that God will use this time to really help us uh, as we think about our leaders and where we're going and vision for the next year. We have a a great privilege this morning to uh, have our uh, boys club, kindergarten through second grade. They're going to come. They've been memorizing scripture, and they're going to come and share with us uh, this passage that they have memorized throughout this year on Wednesday nights. boys come to boys club but it looks like just one is coming to church <laughs> sorry i teased him before service that he might be the only one and i wasn't thinking it was true but we have had 13 boys come to boys club and we have five amazing wonderful college girls that come and help us and we love them to death this year we decided to um, do a passage and the romans 12 
9 through 12, and it's love and action. And so each week we take a verse and we do a Bible story about it, and then we um, do some kind of activity with it and to learn the verse. And it's been really exciting to see the boys learn the verses and work on it, but also do what the verses say. And um, one is, um, how can you show love to people who persecute you? And Leighton Sanisith said, you make them cookies, because that's what his mom does. So <laughs> it's been a lot of fun watching them grow. And we just wanted to share with you the blessing that these boys have been to us, and we wanted to share that with you. Are you ready? Okay. I will say it with you, okay? Come over here. We have our cheat sheet. At this time, we'd like to invite the ushers forward to receive our morning tithes and offerings. There's a peace I've come to know. No more. 
sing with us. There's a day that's drawing near when this darkness breaks to light and the shadows disappear and my faith shall be spend a few moments praying together. It's been our practice for a while. The altar is open if you would like to use this as a place where you come and offer your prayers and your words of praise and thanksgiving. Please come and join me.
Heavenly Father, it is an awesome thing to ponder eternity. To ponder all that you have promised us in Christ, who conquered the grave, who rose in victory, and who reigns supreme. We come today in his name. We come today because he calls us to to pray because he models for us coming before you as a child to a father and pouring out our hearts in love in thanksgiving in burden Lord we do thank you today for your many blessings On this day, we thank you for the weather, the sun shining and and the signs of spring. We thank you for your grace in our lives, in our families, in our homes, in the places where we work. Even in the difficulties of, of living in this world, we know you are present and we thank you. We thank you for the miracles that you performed in our lives the miracles of healing, the miracles of your comforting presence, the miracles of of salvation. And Father, today we come and we pour out our hearts to you with the things that are burdening us. We look around at our world and we see so much about which to be discouraged and fearful, apprehensive. We pray for your divine grace to be at work in this world. Help us to see you at work. We pray that you would bring peace where there is war and where there is violence. We pray that you would, you would help us to be people who share food and drink and resources with people who do not have enough. We pray that you will heal bodies that are broken hearts that are torn apart, spirits that are grieving. Right among us, there are so many burdens, so much that we represent in this place. And we ask as we, as we lay before you the burdens of our hearts, we ask not that you hear our prayers because we know that you do, but that you would assure us that you hear and that you're at work. Hear our prayers for this world, for one another, for ourselves. Father, thank you for hearing us. Thank you for loving us. Let us know continually of your grace and your mercy in our lives. And we pray all of our prayers in the name of the risen Christ. Our Lord, our Savior, our coming King. Amen.
Uh, good morning. The scripture for today is from Revelations 22, verses 1 through 6. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need, need not the light of, the lamp, light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord... The God of the spirits of the prophets sent his angel to show his servants that that these things must soon take place. The word of God. Please stand as we sing. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today. Of power that can never fail. Let 
We have a lot of misconceptions about heaven. When I was in uh, junior high, our youth pastor asked us what we want, thought heaven should be. And of course, all I could think about in heaven was wings and angels. And quite frankly, it seemed a little boring to me. And my idea was a never-ending baseball game. Uh, to me, that would be he- a heaven as a seventh grader. There are lots of things about heaven that we don't know. Lots of things about heaven that we question, we wonder, we, we're trying to figure out. And as we come to the end of John's vision, this book we call Revelation, he describes for us one more scene of what heaven will be. It is interesting to me that his description here begins talking about the city, which as we talked about last week is connected to the bride of Christ, which is the church, and that heaven will be, will be understood in the context of the church. But he says that coming through this city, flowing through this city is the river of life. The minute I read that, my mind jumps back to John chapter 4, where Jesus is sitting at a well talking to a woman about water. And he says to her, I am the living water. And now we jump ahead to John to Revelation 22, and John says, the river of life flows right through the middle of the city. And this river gives life to everything in the city. Everything that lives and grows and exists there is because of this river of life. And I think John is trying to tell us that at the center of everything that there is to know about heaven is Jesus. In fact, if you have any understanding, any thoughts about heaven that don't include Jesus at the center, it's an unbiblical thought about heaven. It is only heaven because Jesus is there. And Jesus is in the center. And it's all about him. About the lamb who was slain and has risen from the dead. And everything we think of, everything that we ponder about heaven, ultimately comes back to this river of life flowing through the city, representing Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It always has been. It always will be. Heaven is about Jesus. And sometimes we, we miss that. You know, we, we get excited and thinking about seeing people we have loved, people we've known, thinking about, you know, we talk about having conversations with people. We may do that. But it will be in the context of everything being about Jesus. Which tells us if life then is all about Jesus, life now is all about Jesus too. And it it drives our lives and it motivates our lives and has everything to do with our lives. And, And he says that because this river flows through the city, the tree of life is there. Actually, you get the sense there are two of them. Or at least their root system is underneath the river somehow, but they're on both sides of the river. And the tree of life takes us back to the Garden of Eden. And, and God, Genesis tells us that the, the tree of life is planted right in the middle of the garden. And when Adam and Eve sin and disobey God, God removes them from the garden because he doesn't want them to eat the tree of life. 
But when we get to eternity, the tree of life will be there. And he says it will produce fruit every month, such an abundance. And what do you You eat fruit. And now we will eat the tree of life and all that that means coming from God. And it will be life eternal for us. And it will be blessing. And the interesting thing about that tree, John says, is that the leaves are the healing of the nations. Through the leaves on that tree, the nations will be healed. I've been pondering what that means. Part of me thinks that it is, it is the healing of all of the ways in which we divide ourselves with each other. All the walls we put up, all the wars and the violence and, and trying to outdo each other. And, and you think about the nations of the world fighting with each other and, and being at each other's throats. And the way we are prejudiced against each other. All of that will be gone. All of that will be healed. I don't think that, that we will all look alike. As John says earlier in the Revelation that he looked and he saw people from every tribe and nation and tongue and race. We'll, we'll still maintain that some way. But there won't be animosity toward each other. There won't be racism. There won't be prejudice. There will be love. And we will be healed from what the fall has done to us to separate us and divide us and make us war against each other. And we will be healed not just about nations, but about individuals. All of the ways in which we hurt each other will be healed. All of our insecurities that cause us to to fight with each other and and one-up each other and, and we feel envy and jealousy toward each other, all of that will be healed. But ultimately, the most profound healing that will take place is our relationship with God. Because all the problems we have with each other are rooted in our problem with God. Our separation from God caused by sin. Before sin entered the world, when Adam and Eve were created and planted in the garden, it says they had conversations with God. I don't know what that means. I don't quite understand that. But somehow they had conversations with God and their relationship was perfect. They understood everything God said. They, they saw God clearly. There was, there was no, no doubting God. There was no confusion about God. Everything was clear. But when sin entered the world, our receptors about God became damaged. They were twisted and turned and broken. And so now we don't hear God clearly. We don't see God clearly. We question God and we doubt God and and we wonder if we can trust God because our receptors are damaged. But on that day, our receptors will be healed and we will understand God as he is and we will see God and we will know God and everything that has been broken here will be healed. All of the stuff inside of us that causes us to feel insecure and to question God will be healed by the tree of life and its leaves that are alive because of Jesus. And the people who in heaven who who are healed, all the people who live there, he says, the servants of God will worship the Lamb. Our whole existence, all that we do there will be worshiping the Lamb. Now, I used to think that that meant 
we were just going to kneel at an altar or something and just worship. I, I think it's so much bigger than that. I think as we talked last week, all that we create will be, will be done to worship the Lamb. Our relationships with each other and how we love each other will be a means of worshiping the Lamb. The, the church and, and the way that we interact with each other as God's people will bring glory to the Lamb. It will be a means of worshiping the Lamb. Every thought, every action will be a means of worshiping the Lamb. And instead of us thinking, how can I get glory from this, from what I create and do, it will, give, it will be all about giving glory and honor and praise to Jesus. It will be all about serving him and worshiping him in every creative way that we exist. And here's the interesting thing that John tells us. For the servants of God who worship him, the people who exist there in heaven, he says in verse 4 that we will see his face. We will see his face. Now that that takes me back to Exodus 33. In Exodus 32, it's the story of the golden calf. You know, God's not real happy with Israel about that. You know, he's up on Mount, Moses up on the mountain and God is giving him the Ten Commandments and the law and they're having this awesome spiritual experience and the people of Israel are down in the valley creating this golden calf, worshiping it, all kinds of things. And Moses comes down and he's angry and he smashes the tablets and, and you know, it's a mess. But then in chapter 33, Moses goes back up onto the mountain to get another set of tablets. Ten Commandments, what would it be, 2.0, I guess we might call that. He goes up to get those, and, and he has this, somehow he has this conversation with God. And Moses says, Lord, you know how we've sinned against you, and, and you know that we have rebelled against you. And he's a little bit afraid that maybe when they go into the promised land, God isn't going to go with them. Because God's fed up with them already. Moses doesn't understand the amazing patience of God. And, and he, so he says to God, look, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. And we, I need a sign that you're going to go with us, so show me your face. And God, you know, I can almost hear God laughing a little bit. Moses, believe me, you cannot handle seeing my face. You think you, can, you can't handle seeing my face. I'll, I'll show you my back. And he hides Moses in a rock and somehow the presence of God goes by and he sees the back of God. And that's enough for Moses. God's face is too glorious to see. When we get to heaven, we're going to see his face. We're going to see the face of God and and it will be amazing. You think about people you're looking for in a crowd go to a mall shopping and you get separated from the people you're with and you're trying to find each other and, and, and you look around and you see the back of someone's head that you think that's who it's, you think that's them. And you walk up to them and if you're wise, you're cautious about how you approach them in that setting. But you've, you've, I'm sure you've had the experience of thinking that was the person you're looking for. And when you get up there and you see their face, you realize it's not them. And you're very glad that, you, you know, you didn't put your arm around them or something, scare them, whatever. And because it's hard to, to, to really know who someone is from behind. It's when we look each other in the face that there's recognition. 
And somehow we are going to see God's face and it is going to be awesome, more awesome than we can imagine. But he also says that not only will we see God's face, but his name will be on our foreheads. Now in Revelation 13... The, the beast is unleashed on the earth and he is creating all kinds of havoc. And he has identified his people by putting his name on their forehead, the mark on the forehead. And so as I read, read this here in, Genesis, in Revelation 22, and he talks about putting you know, our, the name on our forehead, I'm thinking, well, that's just a, sort of the opposite of what you got in Revelation 13 is that that was them identifying with the beast and this is us identifying with God. And, and that might be the case, but I think there's something deeper here. I think there's something else going on here that maybe is actually turning that idea on its head. I was reading this week C.S. Lewis's essay, The Weight of Glory. And, and he talks in there about, about heaven and he's talking about how, how it struck him one day that when we talk about glory in heaven and us being glorified, he said, I'm trying to figure out what that means. And all I could think about was fame. And he realized that as he read some of the ancient authors that it was talking about fame, but not fame between other creatures, but fame from God. That we're going to have recognition from God, which is what Jesus says in the parable uh, of the vineyard where he, or the talents, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And he says, then I began to remember about how Jesus said that only the, only if you have the spirit of a child, can you enter the kingdom. And, and for a child, and he says, not a conceited child, but a good child, the, the most obvious thing you can see in them is, is when they know you are pleased with them. And they feel, are filled with joy when a parent tells them how pleased they are with them. And that's not just with children. You, you see it in all kinds of things. It's the principle of the inferior, he calls it. It's, it's a beast to a man. It's, it's a pupil to a teacher. It's a parent, a child to a parent. It's a creature to the created. That the one who has power and the one who has authority exudes to this inferior one that we are pleased with them. And then he says, he was reading in a periodical that someone said, the most important thing is to know God. And he said, I realize that that's not true. The most important thing is not knowing God, it is God knowing us. And if we know God at all, it is insofar as God knows us. And he reminds us of Paul's writings in 2 Corinthians when he says, to those who love God, it is not as we would expect that we will know God, but that we will be known by And it seems to me that God's marking his name on our foreheads is not our way of identifying with God. It's God's way of identifying with us. 
It's not us saying, I've chosen to be on God's team. It's God saying, they're with me and I want everybody to know that. And I'm proud of that. And I'm pleased with that. And that excites me. And that brings great joy to me. And Lewis talks about how our lives are as creatures, as servants of God, actually have a part in bringing about divine happiness. That God is joyful about us. And he marks us because he is not ashamed to be identified with us. And he's pleased with us. And in heaven, we will know the fullness of that. The joy of that. The blessing of that. It's an amazing thought to think that you and I could actually bring pleasure to God. We could actually have a part of God's happiness, of God's joy. And yet, that's what the scriptures are telling us. And now, we get just a little glimpse of that. We get glimpses periodically of God saying to us, I am so pleased with you. I love you. I want everyone to know that you're with me and I'm not ashamed of that for a moment. And I think that has the potential to change our lives. Because so often we think because of our struggles, because of our sin, because of the burdens in our lives and the things that we do that we wish we didn't do, we feel shame and we think, man, God would never want to be connected to me. And all the while, God is looking at us whose hearts are turned to him as fallible and as much failure as we have in the journey, but hearts who are turned to him. And he says, I'm pleased with you. You bring joy to me. And I want to continue to help you bring more and more joy to me through your life. And I think that's why Lewis talks about heaven is a place that people go who want to be there. Heaven's a place for people who want what God wants. Heaven's a place for people who want to bring joy to God, who want to bring pleasure to God, who everything about our lives, we get excited about knowing that God is pleased with us. Even when we don't always measure up to what we ought to do, even when we fail, even when we struggle... To know that, that God is joyful about us and God identifies with us. And he's not ashamed to, ident- to be identified with us. And heaven is for people whose desire is to bring joy to God. And out of that joy to experience genuine happiness. Lewis wrote a letter to his brother and he had a line in there and he said, I suspect that, that the world is not so much divided between those who are happy and those who are unhappy, but between those who would like happiness and those who, oddly enough, really don't. Heaven's for people who really want happiness. Now, we look at that and we think, why would anybody else want anything else? Why would, why would anyone choose anything else? And yet, we see it all the time. And quite frankly, we wrestle with it all the time. We think our way is better than God's way. We think we can get, we can find more joy in life our way than going God's way. 
And all the while, God is, is saying, look what I've got planned for you. It's going to be awesome. I just want you to experience the fullness of my pleasure and my joy. And in light of that eternal perspective, this table takes on a new dimension. At this table, we, we receive God's invitation to experience just a bit of his pleasure. We experience at this table God's desire to imprint his name on us and to claim us as his own. At this table, we begin to experience something of the joyous banquet of God's love and grace and mercy coming to fulfillment. So this morning... If your heart is, is turned to Christ, despite the failings that we have, if your heart is turned to Christ, then I wanted you to be filled with a spirit of joy and know God's pleasure over you. And to get a glimpse of, of the fullness of that pleasure one day by sensing his pleasure in your heart and life now. And if your heart isn't turned to Christ... If you're not sure you really want what God wants, you're not really sure you want or concerned about God being pleased with you, then I'm going to take a moment for us to, to pray and to give you the opportunity to say, I would love to have my heart turned toward Christ. Because I want to know that joy and that pleasure of God in my life. Let's pray. Father, hear our prayers, simple as they may be, and fill us with your joy. Help us to know your pleasure. Father, as we come to this table today, we come in awe and in adoration. We are in awe of your great love for us in Christ. We are in awe of what you have promised us for all time. And we come in adoration and praise and thanksgiving that you give us glimpses of eternity, even now. Let us be people who, who live, who create, who think, who interact in a way that pleases you. We pray, Father, that as we as we come to receive 
the bread and the cup, that your blessing would be poured out upon these elements. Let them be food and drink for our souls. And let us know the joy of bringing you joy. Pour out your spirit on us and on the bread and the cup. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We're going to receive communion this morning by the mode of intinction, which means to dip in. So you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. You return to your seat by the outside aisle. The altar's always open if you'd like to stay and pray. And we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. This might be the first time you've ever worshipped here, but if you come today with your heart open to Christ, with a desire to know the joy and the pleasure of God, then come and receive these gifts from his gracious, loving, merciful hands. Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away, slain for us. And we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross. So we share in this bread of life, and we Savior Jesus Christ torn for you. Eat and remember the wounds that heal, the death that brings. 
Jesus' life paid the price to make us one. So we share in this bread of life, and we drink of His sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of love around the table of the King. that cleanses every stain of sin shed for you. Drink and remember He drained us cup that all may enter in to receive the life of God. So we share in this bread of life and we drink of His And so with thankfulness and praise we rise to respond and to remember our call to follow in the steps of Christ as His body.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.